So in this series that we are calling Making Room for a New Wine, we're looking at the subject of change. Being willing to change in order to basically accommodate whatever it is that God actually wants to do to us and actually through us. You see, all change actually comes at a price. That's the nature of change. God makes it clear that change is an important part of every single day life, you know, for the Christian. In fact, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 compels us to be transformed. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, as a church, it's important to remind ourselves, you know, that change is not only inevitable, but ultimately it is also enriching, you know, as it's an enriching part of the Christian life. Mikey uh, actually talked about, you know, resistance to change, I think it was three, four weeks ago, and he made it clear that it's actually God's intention for us all to change. Because stagnancy, you know, that will only weaken the strength of his message. And it hardens our hearts. And it's through change that we can find the tools in which each one of us can actually grow into the fullness of our potential and therefore actually be released into our destiny. Now, there are some real benefits to being a Christian, you know, being part of a church. And if you attend this church, you know, regularly, you'll hear me talking about them frequently. Changes like, you know, things like, you know, we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit, you know, and he's sometimes to refer to in the scriptures as the H, begins with H, helper. <laughs> Help me out, helper, okay. Secondly, we have each other. You know, we've got God's family. We've got brothers and sisters who journey life with us, who are there for us, and the, the joyous times of life as well as the saddest times of life. And thirdly, we have the promises of God. And that's something sometimes that it's overlooked. These three things help us to not only navigate change and embrace new experiences that God is actually inviting us into in order to achieve His purposes. You know, we've talked about the value of community to help us through the times, you know, we've talked about the power, you know, the Holy Spirit to help us through those times. And today I want to talk about the promises of God to help us through the times that are going to come before us. And you might find that to continue on this journey about change, you're going to either have to give up something or maybe you have to leave something behind. Or let me say it another way. I think there's several times in every single Christian's life when to continue to follow Jesus, it will cost you something. So today we're going to look at a guy called Joshua who had to lead people from what was so familiar to them into something that was completely unknown. So if you've got a Bible, could you turn to Joshua chapter 1? If you don't, I will put it up on the screen. And what made Joshua succeed through all the opposition that he faced was he held on to the promises of God. So let's read this part of his journey. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This passage was a prophetic word to Linda and I. It was given to us many years ago. It was an encouragement to come over to the West End and establish this church. Now, as a church, we have been given various promises. Now, some of them, you know, we've seen come to pass. Other ones we're still actively working towards. And at times, it's been tough. It's been tough. I think that's why he says, I will be with you. Do you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. He says it so many times, doesn't he? But let me ask you a question this morning. What keeps you going? What is your motivation to keep going what you're doing for the Lord when things get tough? Ask yourself that question. For Joshua, his motivation was to know that God was going to keep his promises. Do you know, you see, when Joshua was a young man, God brought the Israelites to the very edge of the promised land. He was about to bring them into their inheritance, but the people, well, they they borrowed it. They completely borrowed it. They didn't believe in the promises of God. They became fearful, and that fearfulness actually caused them to be demotivated. The only two who were actually motivated were the, you know, who believed in the promises of God were a guy called Joshua, who we're looking at today, and another guy called Caleb. And because the others borrowed it, about two million people from that generation missed out on their destiny. They never achieved their destiny. And for 40 years later, it was only 40 years later that Joshua and Caleb were about to lead this new generation into God's promise, into God's promised land. You see, Joshua followed in Moses' footsteps. He followed Moses as God's servant. Now, can you imagine how Joshua must have felt? I mean, think of Moses. Moses was there when God delivered the plagues. Moses was there when God parted the the Red Sea. Moses struck the rock and water came out of it. I mean, here's Moses, hero of the faith, you know, freedom fighter, deliverer, the humblest man on the face of the earth, a mighty prophet who actually comes into the very presence of God and he still lives. Talk about big shoes to fill. And next up, who's coming? Josh. Josh who? What's Josh ever done? You know. But the Lord says to him, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So what made Joshua's generation successful where Moses' generation actually failed? I believe it's because he held on to and leaned into the promises that God gave him in chapter 1. See, Joshua's generation where a generation said, we can do it because God said so. We can do this because God said so. Are we that generation? Do we believe that? I've got one person nodding and one yes. Okay. (laughs) 
Well, with two people, we can change the world. <laughs> but Moses' generation, any in Moses' generation, dare you put your hand up? No, thank you. <laughs> Moses' generation are like, how are we going to do this? I mean, explain how we're going to beat these giants. Let me share an important truth with you this morning. The world tends to live, the culture out there tends to live on explanations. For example, why does this happen? Why does God allow that? You know, why should I do this? The Christians, we live from the promises of God. So if you're going to serve God, you need to learn to trust God and the promises that He gives to you. So let me list three quick dangers, okay? Three quick dangers that actually hinder us and prevent us from living by the promises of God. Here's the first one. The danger of always looking back. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. In other words, the time of Moses, guys, is over. That's finished. You have a new leader now, so don't look to go back the way. Look to go forward. See, I think it's really dangerous to constantly look back instead of looking forward to see what God is actually doing. The temptation is, is that we all want to look back at times. And, you know, especially the things that we're familiar with. We're drawn to the things that we're familiar with. But in the beginning of Joshua, Moses was familiar. Moses the only leader, you know, that the people had ever known. And they'd known him for 40 years. Now, there's a new leader all of a sudden on the scene, and maybe he'll do things differently. Well, that's a little bit, you know, unsettling. That might be a little bit unstable. Would they expect Joshua to lead like Moses? Who knows? Would they always be harking back to the past? You know, well, we've never done it this way before. You know, I remember when Moses, you know, was in charge, he would have done it completely differently. He probably faced those kind of questions. You see, it was actually the looking back to Egypt that sabotaged the future of two million people in Moses' generation who were meant to experience the promised land, yet they never did. You see, when we look back, we're in danger of missing what is for us, what's ahead of us. Now, as a church, we are in a season of promise. We're in a season of change. I believe these next 12 months, we're going to be at a get ready to cross the Jordan River moments. I think there's going to be a couple of them. Now, in order to do those transitions, we will need to change the way we do things, and it will be for the better. Let me just state for a minute, Linda and I aren't retiring. We're going nowhere, okay? But let me give you a what-if scenario. What if all of a sudden a building became available to us where we had our own building a place where we could grow, a place where we could do stuff through the week, put on crashes, a place we could call home, a place where we would not be as vulnerable as what we are just now, that we could be put out in a moment's notice. You know, during COVID, we were locked out of this building for 22 months. We couldn't. It only needed a pipe to burst or me to say something that wasn't politically correct in the, the social militant kind of atmosphere out there to actually not be able to meet here as a Sunday. There's vulnerabilities in renting buildings. Wouldn't it be great if we had a place we didn't have to do setup? Wouldn't that be great? Put out the chairs. Wouldn't it be great to have a place for new beginnings? You know, we could do weddings. You know, we could have engagement with the local community more. You know, in the schools, we could do conferences. We could have parties. Anyone up for a party? Yeah, church should be a party. And even though there would be many, many, many advantages to having your own building, there would be a number of changes that we would all have to face that might be inconvenient. Example, where do I park my car? <laughs> Do 
Do you know, I mean, I like coming in at the last minute and there's a place to park my car and just work a couple of yards across the playground. And some of you might be tempted to look back. I liked it the way it was in the school. But if we do, that will be in danger and missing what is for us and what is ahead of us. Instead of looking back, what really matters is the direction that your feet are headed in right now. In fact, God wants you to focus on the future so much, so much, that he built your physical body that way as a physical reminder of which way you're to focus in. For instance, when God put two eyeballs inside your head, did he put them at the front of your head or did he put them at the back of your head? He put them at the front, didn't he? He put them in front of your head so you would look forwards and not backwards at your past. When God attached two ears to your cranium, he attached them forward so that you can hear the promises of God rather than listen to what people are saying behind your back. He wants you to focus forward. When God attached your arms to your body, he put them so it's easier to reach forward than it is to actually reach backward because he wants you reaching forward, helping out other people. When God put two feet on your ankles, he put them facing forward because he wants you to walk forward in faith and not backwards in fear. In fact, in your entire anatomy, there is only one part of your body that's facing your past. <laughs> and they don't call it your behind for nothing, okay? So, here's the second danger. It's a danger of standing still. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, he said. See, God wants us to keep moving with him. And when we stand still, we either sink or we go backwards. Isn't that what happened to Peter when Jesus called him to get out of the boat and start walking, you know, in faith towards him? And Peter stops walking forward in faith by taking his eyes off of Jesus and he focuses on the wind, he focuses on the waves, and then he begins to do what? He begins to sink. See, God doesn't go backwards. He's always moving forwards. The promises of God are for today, not yesterday, Okay. See if you can spot how many cliches I come up with. Okay, I'll give you a prize at the end. See, when you claim the promises of God, it may have come from your past, but it's always for the future. And here's the third one. The danger of giving up. Joshua knew that Palestine was inhabited by seven enemy nations, all of which are bigger and stronger than the Israelites. And that night before, God says, hey, hey Josh, let me give you a little pep talk here. And Joshua 1, four times he says, be determined and confident. He says, Joshua, the first thing you're going to have to do is I'm going to have to use you, you know, to use you as you've got to let go of doubts, Joshua. Joshua 1 verse 9 says this, be bold and strong, banish fear and doubt, for remember the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Banish means to get rid of, it actually means to eliminate, to eradicate. And if God is going to use us, the first thing we have to do is we've got to dump our doubts. Doubt's a choice. Doubt's a choice. Every time you doubt, you're choosing to doubt. It's a choice like any other attitude. Faith is a choice. Doubt is a choice. Whenever you're doubting God, the Bible, your abilities, other people, you're choosing to actually doubt. Now, I'm not saying don't ask questions because that's relative and you've got to ask questions, you know, about things. But I don't understand the logic of this, but a lot of people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. What if we flip that? So that doesn't make sense. What if you doubt your doubts and you believe your beliefs? 
That makes more sense to me. Now, there's two things that can cause self-doubt in your life, okay? The first one is this, comparing your abilities. When you compare your abilities, it causes you to doubt your abilities. See, instead of looking to God, I start looking around at other people. Uh, they're more talented. They've they're, they're got better abilities. They're better looking than me. They've got a better education. They've got more experience than me. They've got a better background you know, than me, and on and on and on. That's how we do the comparison. And the moment you start comparing yourself to other people, you're going to be filled with self-doubt. In fact, the Bible says it is foolish to compare yourself to other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, if you're looking for a scripture for it, it says it is dumb. And then in brackets, it says stupid to compare yourself to other people. God uses his ordinary people. In fact, if God only used perfect people, you know, nothing would ever get done because no such creature exists. There's only ever been one perfect person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God uses all kinds of people. God doesn't want you comparing yourself to anybody else because you're unique. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, do you know what? You're unique. You are unique. <laughs> Linda, you are unique. <laughs> and here's the second thing. The other thing it causes you to have self-doubt is remembering your failures. Remembering your failures. God does not want you focusing on the past because, guys, we've all made mistakes. Anyone that's never made a mistake, I just want to see if Jesus has came. No, he's not here with us. Okay. Let me give you some encouragement, Christians. Okay. Most of the great, great, great leaders of the Bible did not exactly have a sterling resume. Think about it. Moses was a murderer before he became a great leader. Do you know, Jacob stole his family's inheritance. David was an adulterer, and then he had Bathsheba's husband put to death. Abraham gave away his wife twice. Save my life, have my wife, was his attitude. What's that like? Do you know? Paul was a religious... Sorry. Uh, I do have my own personal heckler here. <laughs> and do you know what's annoying? You all kind of side with her more than me. <laughs> and her healing later. Okay. <laughs> Peter, Peter had this temper that just would not quit. Can you remember that? You know, he, remember Malchus, poor Malchus get the Malchus. Remember when he cut his ear off? I was like, what's that all about? Yet God said, I think I'll use you. Do you know, God uses people, guys, we check our past. So don't compare yourself with anyone else. Right, moving on. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why do you think God said that to Joshua? Do you ever ponder that? Joshua, not only was it seven nations, there was 31 kings with armies waiting for him in those nations as he entered the promised land. And he knew there was a temptation to give up. It looks too scary. He'd seen his people actually do it before and a whole generation missed out entering God's promise. Joshua had many challenges, you know, ahead of him, as do we. So I'm giving you the bad news up front. It's not always going to be easy to serve God. Please hear that. Now I'm going to give you the good news. God promises never to leave us, never to leave you. If he's not going to leave you, then that means there is so much more for each one of us to experience of him. So much more. We have barely scratched the surface, but we need to lean in more. He is an interactive father, not an absent one. The challenge is, will we leave him? That's the other question. Will we leave him? Will you settle for comfort? Will you opt out for convenience and give up like Moses' generation did and therefore miss out? 
Or will you stay the course and enter into the abundant, expansive destiny that it has for each and every one of us? So those are the dangers. But what should we do when God either invites us to do something that seems a big change? What do I look for? Well, here's the first thing I look for. I look for a promise. I look for a promise. Look for a promise of God. You know, 13 times in the book of Joshua, the word promise is actually used. If you were to summarize the life of Joshua, it would be capture the promised land. In Joshua 1 verse 3, God says, I promised Moses that I would give you this land, so I will give you every place you go in the land. Note the phrase, so I will. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. If he makes a promise to you, he keeps it. If he says, I'm going to use you, he will use you. If he says he's going to bless you, he will bless you. If he says he's going to protect you, he will protect you. There are seven, over fact, over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Do you know, read them, guys, read them. And maybe God will highlight one of them and speak to you about it and say, this is a promise that I have for your life. You see, at the end of Joshua's life, many, many years later, when he was very old and he was about to die, he looks back over his life and he sees that he, they conquered all of Palestine. And at the end of Joshua chapter 23, he says this, now my time has come to die. Every one of you knows in his heart and soul that the Lord your God has given you all the good things that he promised. Every promise he made has been kept. Not one has failed. Amen. So what promises did he make to Joshua? First, he promises him strength. In verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. In other words, whatever God asks you to do, he will give you the power. He will give you the strength to do it. When he guides, he provides. Point number two. In verse 8, he says, you will be successful. Do you know, God wants you to succeed in serving him more than you probably understand. He doesn't want you to be a failure. He wants you to succeed. Twice in the chapter, he says, you will succeed. And here's the third thing that he does. He supports you. Verse 9, he says, I will be with you wherever you go. God's word done God's way will not lack God's support. God has many, many promises for you in this book, you know, here. Guys, we've got to read them. We've got to digest them. We've got to get into this stuff. You've got to discover them. Let me move on quickly because time's moving on. Verse 8 says this, always remember what is written in this book. Study it day and night to be sure to obey everything that is written there. If you do this, you will be wise and successful in everything. It's quite a promise, isn't it? I think that's a belter one. I quite like that one. Notice that God's promise of success is not based on your ability. Do you see that in the scripture? It's based on your commitment to what? His word. Remember the word, study the word, obey the word. General Douglas MacArthur, who was a World War II general, once called Joshua the greatest military leader who ever lived because Joshua's life was one battle after another continuously. And you know what? He never, ever gave up. Not once did he give up. But let me ask you, do you feel like that sometimes in life? Just like your life is one battle after another? You just get one problem solved and then another one seems to kind of pop up. So how do you then keep on going? How do you keep on keeping on when you've got one battle after another? Well, you do the second secret of being used by God, and that's this. Lean on Him. Lean on the Lord. 
You let go of your doubt, you look for a promise, then you lean in the Lord. Leaning is more than just believing. It means depending on Him. So what do you do when you lean on something? When you lean on something, you're trusting it to hold you up. Amy, can I borrow you just now? This is a trust exercise. Come over here. Amy, I need you to go rigid, okay? And I want you just to come back. Let's see. No, no, keep rigid. Just keep coming back. Keep coming back. How much trust do you have? Keep coming back. And do you know what? If Amy, he would have lifted you. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. He'll support you all the way, and if need what, he will carry you in, in his arms, and he'll take you that journey. That is the Lord. Thank you, Amy, for that. Joshua, in verse 5, God says, no one will be able to defeat you all your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forget you. And God says that to you and to you, to all of us today. He says, you can lean on me. And as long as Joshua leaned on God, he was undefeatable. He was victorious in every single battle as long as he depended on the Lord. Four times God said in this passage, be confident, don't doubt, be strong, be determined. Because you lose your fear when God is near. You lose your fear when God is near. He will never leave you. Here's a very important question. Who or what are you leaning on for your strength today? Who are you leaning on for your strength? Leaning on the Lord is scary at times, guys. It's uncomfortable sometimes. I'll be honest with you. Is God going to come through is an actual question, you know, that we ask. Is he going to hold me up? But that's what faith is all about. And that leads me to my next and last kind of point. We need to learn how to step out in faith more. There comes a point in life where you've got to stop discussing it, you know, talking about it. You must step out in spite of your feelings, your fears, or maybe even your doubts. It doesn't have to be big, but you do something that shows faith in your life. In verse 10, it said, Then Joshua issued instructions to the leaders to tell the people to get ready to cross the Jordan River. That was the moment of truth. They had to go for it. There was no turning back. They had literally to take the plunge because they're going to have to cross a river. And once they crossed, they were going to begin with a battle to take over the nations. Do you know, I've actually been at the point where they crossed over and faced Jericho. You can actually see it's this big, wide, you know, plain. I was there when I was on, on sabbatical. Uh, the Jordan River is about, say, 100 feet wide. At places, it can be 20 feet deep, except in flood season when it gets wider and it gets deeper, a lot wider and a lot deeper. It becomes a giant, rushing, dangerous, powerful river. Guess when Joshua was there? He was there during the flood season. Isn't that typical of God to put them right there when everything is looking like it's overwhelming? They said, how are we going to get across? There wasn't any bridges, you know, over the Jordan River. How's Joshua actually going to get his entire group of people, you know, across this raging, raging river? God says, I'm going to do a miracle. Do you remember 40 years ago when I did this at the Red Sea? He's reminding Joshua. Only this time, I want you to start walking through it first. And then I will miraculously dam the river upstream. It was about 17 miles, you know, away. And the waters will recede after, only after you step into it. But I want you to step into it first. 
That was a command. Talk about putting your faith to your feet. And as he did, the waters receded and the people crossed over. Do you know, this has been a pattern in my life. Um, God says to move, then I'll provide. I would love it if he provided, then I would move, if I'm honest with you. That's not the way he's done it with me. You need to realize that the first step is always, always the hardest. Getting into that river and watching God do a miracle means you move against your fear. You've got to move against it. It's not going to dissipate, you know, if you just stand there and do nothing. You do the very thing that you fear the most. That's courage. You know, courage isn't the absence of fear. Let me say that again. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear that said its prayers. Courage is fear that said its prayers. And once you step out, the faith will come. The miracles come once you take that step. Do you know, you can start small, but just start. Just do something. Face your fears. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. I think that's such a, a wisdom saying. Can you imagine what God could do with your life if you totally, completely, irrevocably, do you know, put it in his hands? Little old you, what he could do with you? I think it's amazing. I think the potential is phenomenal. When I came into ministry, when we first uh, resigned, you know, and, uh, from our careers, do you know, came into ministry, we felt God told us to give up my job. And when I did that, that stripped me of all my financial security, uh, my salary, et cetera, et cetera, because we didn't know we'd get paid that month because there wasn't a lot of money in the church. It took away my future security because I lost my pension and it was actually capped. It meant I had to lay down part of my identity, you know, because I got a lot of uh, identity out of my career. I was a master craftsman, a uh, Rolls-Royce engineer. He told me to sell my house at the same time, which we did, and it sold within a couple of weeks, but we couldn't find another one to buy, and we were facing either renting or homelessness, you know, and we had two young children at that time. It was as if he had asked us to give up every earthly security that we had in order to rely on him and his promises. And in the beginning, it was exciting. It really was. But after a couple of weeks, it was becoming very worrying for me. We had to move out of our home, you know, a home that we had, you know, sunk a lot of time and energy. If you know me, I renovate things and we had been renovating it and it was lovely. You know, we'd been in it for 12 years. And having just sold our house, we asked God, where's this house that you promised us? And a prophetic word came back to us to back up God's promise and it said, just wait, it's a surprise. <laughs> it's a surprise. I'm like, surprise? God, you said you would lead us by your spirit. You said you would guide our ways. You said that when we walked through the flames, it would not consume us. When we walked through, you know, the waters, we would not drown in it. And now we're facing homelessness in three days' time, Lord. Come on. God, I'm drowning in doubt. I'm being consumed by the fire of, have I just made the biggest mistake in my life? A surprise? Really? That was all fine and well. And when you're three days before moving out of your home, it becomes very, very stressful. I was in meltdown mode, if I'm honest with you. Linda! She's just getting more excited. So she says, this is going to be great. She's like, when God comes through, this is going to be so brilliant. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, great man of faith that I am. I was so stressed, guys. I was even going around people's doors, chatting them, saying, would you like to sell your house? <laughs> I was putting letters through people's doors. Would you consider selling to me? Trying to help poor old God out, making his promise happen. 
on my own strength. That's what I was doing. That's what I was reduced to. That was the situation I found myself in when God spoke a verse to me, stressed out my box. He gave this verse into my mind, Galatians 3, verses 3 to 5. And I'm like, and? And? You know? And I thought, well, I better read it. You know, I better read it. So I opened my Bible and it said this, Jamie. No, it didn't say Jamie. But it said, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I chatting people's doors and sticking letters for them. Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I was repenting, you know, and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. And you know what? Within those three days, we had the most amazing detached house that a pastor could ever dream of. It was a seven-apartment detached house at a ridiculous kind of price. You know, we could do church in it. It had an office. It had all sorts. And you know what? Linda was really excited, you know, about it as well. Do you know, I want to tell you from that personal experience, there's no greater thrill than being used by God. Nothing even comes close to the feelings of when you know that God is using you for his purpose, sometimes just to help some or just take that next move. There's no thrill like that. And you know what? You're created in that niche for God to use you. And he has promises for you that he wants you to cash in on. So let me summarize. Guys, don't look back. Don't stand still. And don't give up. That's the don'ts. Here's the do's. Look for a promise. Lean in the Lord. And then step out in faith. And you'll inherit the promises that he has for each one of you. And he will be glorified. And your life and the lives of those around you will be utterly transformed and changed. Why don't we stand?